0: All right, my name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor. I want to welcome you all. We uh, are glad to have many of you back and uh, also many of you for the first time, uh, so, so welcome. We are beginning a sermon series in the book of Deuteronomy, which uh, hopefully you've, you've found that book by now. It's in the Old Testament. That's the fifth book of the Bible. And you're going to need it, so you go ahead and pull the Bibles out from under the table, the chairs there, and uh, look on with me there, or look on your phone, or look at the Bible you brought. Uh, but we do we spend time in the Bible every Sunday, and we do that because we believe the Bible is God's word, and uh, that we hear from Him when when we read it, when we preach it, teach it, talk about it, uh, discuss it. It it is the way that God speaks uh, to us. Uh, Deuteronomy, kind of a funny name, means second telling. Uh, Our uh, second law, uh, prob- probably better said though, second telling. It's not a second law. Uh, it's the same law that was given to the Israelites in Egypt uh, before when they come out of Egypt um, in Exodus and Numbers, and Moses is retelling it. He's summarizing it, and it gives us. Uh, a quick look at a lot of the stories that we f- find in the first uh, couple of books uh, in the Bible. It's Moses's final... He is encouraging them to enter into this promised land that was promised to Abraham 500 years before. And Abraham was promised that he would have... Uh, People and that he would know God and that he would have a land. And so uh, they had a people. They were about two million strong at that point and they had God, but they didn't have a land yet. And so this is the third part of this promise that had been given to Abraham. Into this land via conquest, the land just wasn't sitting empty waiting for them. They had to conquer the peoples that were already there. And those peoples had walled cities and superior armor and larger than average soldiers. These people were so scary that the moms and dads of those that are hearing for the first time this book of Deuteronomy were so scared 40 years before this sermon was delivered that they refused to go in to the promised land. Uh, Their fear was so great that they were absolutely paralyzed in fear. And so now Moses, at 120 years old, is given the task of motivating the next generation, this younger generation that comes from uh, the one that that refused to go. And what he's going to do is he's going to use words. Words. It reminds me of speeches that I heard growing up Uh, playing football. Now, I'm from Texas originally, and I played football, and my dad was my football coach. So I heard a lot of pregame speeches. Uh, Every Friday night in my little town was a battle, every Friday night in the fall. It was an absolute battle. And the opponents were people like the Bartlett Bulldogs, or the Schulenberg Shorthorns, or the Thrall Tigers, uh, formidable foes of other small co- uh, high schools that were about 200 people. Um, we were the Somerville Yewas. I don't think there's any other high school on the planet named the Yewas. Uh, it's a Native American word. It means mare or horse. Uh, but our, chi- our, our, uh, I, our, our logo, our mascot was a chieftain, which I know is not politically correct, but I'm just reporting the news, okay? So uh, our home jerseys, as you can see, were all black, right? So b- the black jersey, the black pants, the black helmet, uh, kind of like Darth Vader coming in uh, to this little stadium every Friday night in the fall. And we were a force to be reckoned with, I tell you. I was intimidating. I mean, I was 140 pounds. Uh, and as intimidating as I could be, uh, I, I, was, I was intimidating. And so before every game, there was a pep talk. There was a pep talk. There was a, a pregame speech. And it would have been something like this clip from my favorite football movie, Remember the Titans, I'm going to talk to you tonight about Yeah, let's go. It's words, but it's words that are full of meaning. They're delivered by a coach, or in the case of Deuteronomy, they're national spiritual leader, and they're words of passion, words of truth, words that remember the history of the people and the leader together, and words that describe a preferred future of a win or a championship, or in this case, a promised land. And you can think about it this way if, if you're not into football, and I know a lot of you aren't into football, and it's okay. Um, you can think about it like a swing, right? Most of you have, have been on a swing when you were growing up, and you know that in order to make a swing go forward, you have to kick back, right? It's, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive. You, you want the thing to go forward, but in order to make it forward, you have to kick back. And so... Th- Uh, This Deuteronomy speech, this Deuteronomy sermon is similar to that. Uh, Moses is trying to get them to move forward. He's trying to get them to engage in the conquest that's required of them to get into the promised land. But in order to do that, they've got to go back. They've got to remember. And that's why this uh, series is called Remembrance. Is that Moses is taking them back in order to help them move forward. So, in this first chapter, this little section that we're looking at today, he looks back just 40 years to the moment when the, the, the parents of the people he's talking to uh, decided not to go into the promised land. And so, they remember uh, what happened then. So, verse 19, we'll go back there, Deuteronomy 1, we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, "You you've come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So he's giving them a recap of his pregame speech 40 years before. And he's Telling them, remember how God saw you through the terrifying wilderness, through just having to camp in sand. I don't know if you've ever camped in sand, but it's just not fun, right? It gets everywhere. But not only that, there were snakes and scorpions, and there was bugs, and, and there was also people out there that whenever anyone came into their territory, they killed them. And so this, it was a terrifying wilderness, and God saw this a group of ex-slaves who'd never had to fight for themselves, he saw them through, and he helped them move through the terrifying wilderness. He also reminds them of Mount Horeb, or sometimes this mountain's called Mount Sinai, it's the place where God appeared to His people and He gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them the law and He also appeared to them in really supernatural ways. And so he's, he's kicking back. He's remembering. Remember Mount Horeb. Remember all the things God did there. Remember how God saw us through the terrifying wilderness. And in light of that, let's move forward. God has set this land before you. Right? He, 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 he paints this picture of A vision of of what can happen if they're willing to engage. And their response, well, the response is not a mad swim across the Jordan to engage the enemy. This is their response. That they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The things seem good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and they went up into the hill country and they came to the valley of Eshcol and they spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and they brought it down to us and they brought us word again and said, it's a good land that the Lord, your God, our God is giving us. So they say, when he says, the Lord has set the land before you, they say, let's send some human beings out before us. Information, I know God says this, but but let's make sure that we get some data from from some human people on the ground and and so when they come back, they say, "You know what God was actually telling us the truth. It is a good land. it is a land flowing of milk and honey. The place where they go is actually a wine country it's 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 beautiful and it 's fruitful, and they bring back some of the grapes that they find, and they prove to to them that it is indeed a good Land. Now, it's not the Connecticut River Valley by any stretch of the imagination. It is semi-arid, but compared to everything else around it, it is a lush, green, fruitful land. Remember way back in sixth grade history when you learned about the Fertile Crescent? Remember? I think I have a map. Yep. Remember this? Right. And so you, you can see down here where Cana... Is This is where they're, they're coming out of the desert into that little green space where you, where you see Canaan, we say Jerusalem. And, and so everything around this little crescent is desert. So anything inside that green pl- space, though it be semi-arid, is pretty lush in comparison. And so they're coming out of this desert where they've been down in Egypt and they've come across the Red Sea. And now they're, they're coming into, after 40 years in the desert a place that actually has green stuff, stuff that's growing and it's got water sources and they're they're just amazed at how good this land is. But there's some other parts of the report. And so we read in verse 26, yet you would not go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and you said, because the Lord hated us, He's brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the land of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we've seen the sons of the Anakim there. So it's not just a good land. There are some major obstacles in this good land. Moses mentions the Anakim, uh, they are sort of the poster children for giant soldiers, and so they they, they they say we we thought we saw some of these legendary giant soldiers there, the Anakim. Uh, the result is of this opposition is paralyzing fear. Uh, they absolutely don't believe that they would ever be able to take this land in conquest. So Moses. Back then, 40 years ago, he gives them the pep talk. And so verse 29, he says, I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt, before your eyes, in the wilderness where you've seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Powerful, powerful words. And you can, you, can, you can see the, the swing, right? He, he swings back to Egypt. He said, remember Egypt. Remember when God fought for you? You did nothing. Not a drop of blood was shed except for the Passover lambs. There was, there, none of you died. None of you had to fight. None of you had to take up arms. You just sat around and you waited for God to bring about these ten plagues. And He fought for you. He brought you out of Egypt and then He brought you into the desert. And he, he has saved you through the terrifying wilderness and as if He was carrying you like a baby, like a parent carrying an infant. Most of you probably carried an infant. Some of you have infants. They're just so vulnerable. They can't do anything for themselves. They, if they're thirsty, they can't go find water. If they're hungry, they can't go find food. If they're dirty, they can't change themselves. They can do nothing, nothing, except be cute and just kind of, you know. And Moses saying... Israel, that was you. That was you. And God carried you. He fed you. He cared for you. He protected you. Now, in light of that, engage in this thing that God is calling you to. And yeah, it's not the same as Egypt where you just sit back and wait for the plagues, but it, it's, it's something different. It's something new where he is wanting you to co-partner with him, co-labor with him, and engage in this conquest. Uh. This is how they respond. Verse 32, Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. So again, this is 40 years before the delivery of this speech. He's recounting what the parents of those hearers of the sermon in Deuteronomy did. They heard this word from God and they refused to believe it. They heard this word, and they refused to believe it. Moses' words are not just words. They're God's words. They're God's words. He's not just another professor giving a lecture. He's not just another musician writing song lyrics. He's not a New York bestseller, right? He he, he is delivering the words of God. And the expectation is that those words would be believed. And when we say believe, when the Bible says believed, it's not just saying intellectually agreed to, although that's part of it, but that they would be trusted, they would be obeyed, because the understanding is those words are coming from a God who loves them and can be trusted. And so when the Israelites 40 years before Deuteronomy heard those words, They refused to believe. They said no. Uh, There's a lot of this kind of theme in the book of Deuteronomy. There's a lot of, a hear, O Israel. And what Moses is doing when when he says that is he's saying, I want you not just to intellectually process what I'm saying. I want you to believe what I'm saying. I want you to trust in it. I want you to obey it. One example of those that, hear, O Israel, theme in Deuteronomy 6, which we'll hear about in a few weeks. He says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, and it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey, the expectation around the Word of God is that it would be believed, trusted, obeyed. No, they don't believe. Like 40 years before, this Deuteronomy sermon, when they get the pep talk, they don't believe. So now what? Right? Come back the next day, try again. Not exactly. Verse 34, the Lord heard your words. He was angered and He swore. Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. God gives them one chance, one chance, to hear that word and to respond in faith. And so when they don't do that, it's interesting the the verbiage here it says, The Lord heard your words. They didn't hear God's words, but he heard their words, and their words were murmuring, complaining, saying things like, God hates us. God has only brought us out here to die. Our children are going to be the prey of of the Canaanites. I wish we'd never left Egypt. It was awesome in Egypt. They were living before the face of God. And they didn't even realize it. They're in their tents in the privacy of their home and they're murmuring and they're complaining and they're doing that before the face of Almighty God. And He is hearing their words, and God's response is anger and swearing. Now, not like humans get angry and start swearing, uh, God's anger is righteous, it is holy, it is just. I wonder if there's a place in your understanding of God for anger. Is there a place? When you think about the God that you serve and worship and love and adore and interact with, is there a place in which He is angry? If if not, then you are worshiping a God of your own making. You've created an idol. And you call it God and you attach it to Christian words but it's not the true God of the Bible. And so it's, a, it's important to, to come to an understanding of the true God. It's one of the reasons why we want to go to the Old Testament. We want to we want to spend time in hard, difficult books like Deuteronomy. is We want to get a, a clearer understanding of who God really is. It's a God who has emotions. He's not aloof and distant and so in control that He never feels anything. No, He feels... Deeply, And he feels deeply because he cares. He actually cares enough to get angry. I know I'm often tempted to mock human beings, to pity them, or worse, ignore them, rather than to get angry about something. He's angry and he should be. He's carried these people. He's rescued them. And they're responding by rejecting Him. And what does He swear? Well, He swears as in He makes some promises. And He does a, a double swear here. He says, this uh, swearing that I did before to Abraham, where I said, I'm going to give you and your descendants this land. I promise, I promise, I promise. I swear, I swear, I swear. Uh, I'm not going to, I swear I'm not going to give that to this generation. It's a double swear. And he's not saying he's not going to make good on his first promise. He's just saying, I'm going to postpone the first promise until the next generation. You're going to wander around in the desert for 40 years until all those who are adults, who are responsible for this decision not to go into the land and and engage in this conquest, until you all are gone. And then your kids are going to be the ones that are going to realize the promise. Now, not everyone in that category is in this category of unbelief. He mentions some other folks that are actually willing to believe the, the word, believe God. One of those is Caleb, verse 36. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him and to his children, I will give the land on which he has trodden, which he, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account. And said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. So God honors those who believe his word. Uh, one of the, the, the two of those are Caleb and, jo- and uh, Joshua. Caleb and Joshua were part of the 12 spies that went in and, and did the reconnaissance mission to figure out what was going on in, in the promised land. And they come back with the 12 spies and they also report it's a very good land. And they also report that there are some really scary people there. Uh, but they also report that, the, that God will give them the land. And they encourage the people of Israel to go ahead and go in and take the land for God's glory and for the good Of the people. It's said of Caleb that he wholly, as in W H O L L Y, followed the Lord. It literally means he was filled up with the Lord. That his relationship with God was not just an accessory, it was not just one little part of his life. It had inundated every part of his person. He was wholly devoted to the Lord. And so if the Lord said, I'm going to give you this land, then he believed it. If if the Lord said that he would fight for you, then he was willing to go up against impossible odds in the seen world and trust that God would take care of those impossible obstacles. If his word says, go make disciples of all nations, then those who have hearts like Caleb and Joshua, go make disciples of all nations nations if his word says be generous with your resources then those who have a heart like Caleb and Joshua say I'm going to be generous with my resources if his word says to protect those who are vulnerable and who are oppressed then those with the heart of Joshua and Caleb who are holy devoted to the Lord they go protect those who are vulnerable and oppressed if the word says to keep sex inside of marriage as defined by scripture as one man, one woman, one lifetime, then that's what we do, even though culturally that's a hard thing uh, to say and to follow. And if his word says that faith in Christ is the only way you could be reconciled to God and have a relationship, uh, a life-giving relationship with God, then that's what we preach boldly and lovingly to a world, again, who does not want to hear that. And so Caleb and Joshua both, as as they stood there that day with those other ten spies, were willing to believe the word of God. And if you don't believe it, if, if you're part of that covenant community, what happens is you get disciplined. Disciplined. You see that verse 40, but as for you... Turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Oh, I'm sure that was hard for them to hear. They, they had been in the desert over a year. They had been wandering around. They were having to deal with the sand and the snakes and the people that wanted to kill them. And for God to say, you've got to go back into that desert, was, was a hard, hard word to hear. It was a hard, hard discipline. Moses himself is under discipline. Uh, Moses, at one point, was told by God to speak to a rock, and from that rock, God would bring forth water to make sure that the, the people had water. Moses was so frustrated with the people because they were complaining so much, and they were complaining about him, and they were complaining about God, and so in his anger, he takes his, his rod and his staff, and, and he beats the rock And water does come out, but God says, because you didn't believe my word, what I said to you, you're not going to go in the promised land. And it was was discipline against Moses. So one of the things Moses is saying is, hey, join the club, like you're not the only one getting disciplined, I'm getting disciplined as well. Now, being disciplined does not mean being forsaken. It doesn't mean God saying, I'm done with you. I'm never going to be with you again. I've, I've given up on my whole vision to bring you into uh, this land and to set up this people. God will sustain them in the desert with food and with water and with protection. Those kids who they said were going to be prey uh, of, the, of their enemies are going to grow up. They're going to actually thrive in the desert and they're going to enter into the promised land 40 years later. This, this is who God is. God is God of covenant. He he makes a a covenant with someone, with a group of people where he makes an agreement with them. And the foundation of that agreement is is his promise. Not the promises of the people, but his promise. And when he says, I will never leave you, Israelites, I'm making a covenant with you. I am your God and you are my people. He's never going to let go of that. But inside the safety of, of that commitment that he has, that Absolute unconditional love, that grace we sometimes call it. He then calls his people inside that covenant to holy living. And he insists on it. Uh, Richard Lovelace uses this image that I think is is helpful. He's a writer and a, a former professor. And he says, God, he applies the anesthetic of grace so that he can then bring holiness about by surgery of the law. And so he creates this covenant people by grace where he carries them out of Egypt. They do nothing. They don't, they don't lift a finger. They don't have to fight a battle. He, he brings them out. He brings them out into the desert. He loves them. He cares for them. He protects them. And he places them in this covenant relationship with him. And then inside that covenant relationship, he says, okay, now I'm going to call you to live a holy life. And when you aren't interested in that, when you don't want to do that, I'm going to discipline you. And so this is what he's doing. He's doing it to Moses. He's doing it to the people who refuse to go in. What's interesting is that after the people hear the terms of discipline, they literally they, they hear Moses say, God has sworn that he's not going to let you into the promised land. Here's what they do, verse 41. Then you answered me, we've sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord has commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. So after he gives them a new word, which is your discipline, don't go, they say, no, 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 we'll go. <laughs> and then they are about to go, and God gives them another word, and that word's a word of warning. And he says, no, 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 don't go. Don't go, because I'm not with you. And they go, no, 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 we're going to go. And they go, and they get beat. And then they come back. And Moses is kind of standing there, just like, I told you. like what? Listen to his word. Believe his word. Like when God speaks, he expects you to believe it. He expects you to obey it. He expects you to trust him. And he is indeed trustworthy. And he's proven that by the way that he has brought them out by grace, out of Egypt, through the desert, through the wilderness, and to this place where they're called to conquest. Now, the covenant community of Israel is pointing forward to a new covenant community that is the Church. We're a covenant community. Right? We, we are reminded of this every time we come to this table where we take communion, and we are reminded that on the night that Jesus was betrayed and, and He, uh, the night before His death, And he's actually celebrating a Passover Seder with his disciples. They're they're remembering, they're kicking back, they're looking back at what God has done to save them. And he takes the bread, he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples. He says, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup. And after he blessed the cup, he gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. He's letting them know that there's a new thing to remember. And it's not the exodus. It's the death of Christ on the cross. And what he's letting them know is, I'm setting up a new covenant community. And that new covenant community has been carried in much the same way that the nation of Israel was carried, except in an even greater way. It was carried by the death of Jesus on the cross. That we human beings who were under the oppression and the slavery of sin and sin's effects, death itself, who could not save ourselves, we could not rescue ourselves, no amount of of effort could get us out of that predicament. God saved us. He, He came down. He rescued us and paid the ultimate price in order to do that. And He formed a covenant community called the church out of that. And then He says to the church, I want you to be holy I want you to be holy. And just as he called Israel to be holy, he calls us to be holy. If you're in Christ, if you're in that covenant community, hear that call today. He's calling you to be a a Caleb, to be a Joshua, to be wholly given to the Lord, W-H-O-L-L-Y, to the Holy Lord, H o l -L y. right? This is is our call as, as a church, as a covenant community. And so for some of you, you just need to enter the covenant community for the first time this morning. You've never trusted in this, what the Apostle Paul calls the word of Christ. That Christ has died in your place, that your sins are forgiven through what He did on the cross. And that by faith, by receiving this free gift, you can enter into this covenant community. So I would encourage you to do that. If you've come to enough of an understanding of this... Maybe you've talked to a friend before this, maybe you've read something, maybe you've got a little church memory in in your background, but if this morning you you understand this gospel, this forgiveness that Christ has given you to receive that, then do that this morning and enter into this covenant community. And for those that are already in this covenant community, you are already have placed your faith in Christ, you're part of this church or the church uh, universal, this is a pep talk for you. This is a pep talk we, we swing back and we remember what Christ has done for us. Every time you come in here, we're going to be doing communion every, every week. It's partly why we do this, because we're going to do this in remembrance of him. We're going to swing back and we're going to look back at what Christ has done for us on the cross. And the reason for that is because we want, want you to swing forward and you re-engage in the conquest. In the conquest, because we're still involved in a conquest. It looks very different. We'll talk more about that through the weeks. So I know that's a, that's a little unsettling for people, like conquest and war and battle and all that. Like, what is this about? But, but it's, again, it's a type. It's, it's, a, it's something that prefigures. It's pointing forward to something greater. And we're in that something greater. And so, yeah, we're engaged in a conquest. And that conquest begins in our own souls, we have indwelling sin. We have propensities and things that we're struggling with, and we're having to go to war against those things. And so we need to remember that Christ has carried us through His death on the cross. We are at war with with demonic influences. There's a spiritual, unseen war going on on your campuses, in your neighborhood, and so we, we're in the conquest mode in, in in terms of spiritual warfare. And so we're swinging back so we can move forward in that conquest but there's also just the conquest of making more and more mature disciples helping others come to know jesus and so one human heart at a time people becoming uh, members of christ's body submitting to christ as their king that's the conquest that we're a part of and our weapons are prayer and the word of god but we we are in a conquest And some of us, maybe when we became Christians, we thought that, yes, He carried us, and we really liked that message, but we thought He saved us for comfort. He didn't save you for comfort. He saved you for conquest. And so in much the same way as the Israelites, we're thinking, I thought this thing was about comfort. You said a land flowing with milk and honey. I was thinking that this would be like a resort. You say, no. No, part of this story, part of what you're saved to is conquest. The battles you fight in your own soul, the battles you fight out in the world for God's glory and for the good of many, 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 many people. So when we come to this table, it's a time of confession. Ways where we have been unwilling to engage in the battle that we're called to again, in our own souls where we've given up and we've said, no, I'm going to let that go. I'm, I'm, going, I'm not going to live a holy life. I'm just going to muddle through. I'm, I'm going to go for mediocre. I, I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to confess. I'm not going to talk to somebody that could help me and pray with me. I'm just going to keep on keeping on and I'm just going to limp. Along. No. The same God of Deuteronomy is calling you to be holy, but know that you're inside His loving arms as He's calling you to that. God, God's doing something unique and powerful in our valley right now, on our campuses right now. It, it's incredibly exciting. I, I've even been calling it an awakening. I, I, really, I think the gospel's moving in a way it hasn't moved in a long time. Part of what makes it move forward, part of how God gets it to to continue on and go to the next stage is there are Joshua's and Caleb's that say, I will go forward. I don't care what's going to happen. I don't care what I have to go up against. I don't care if I have to look like like, like I'm a little crazy. I I don't care if I have to say things that possibly the culture is not going to understand. I don't care. I'm going to move forward because I believe God. I believe him. And I think there are Joshua's and Caleb's in this room. I know there are. I, I know a lot of you. And it encourages me. It encourages my own heart when, when I'm around you and, and I see you moving forward in, in this spiritual conquest that God, God has given us. And I've seen that play itself out on a campus before, long, long ago, back in the uh, late 1980s, early 90s when... I was a college student. I know it's hard to think about that long ago when you weren't even born. <laughs> but at the University of Texas, my wife and I both we were, we were students. We were new believers. People around us were new believers. people were becoming Christians, and the gospel was moving really, really rapidly. And literally the campus fellowship that I was a part of went from 35 people to 350 people in two years. And most of those were new believers. Now, I thought it was always going to be like that. i like, this is awesome. Man, I love it. And I got to be a part of that. And it's not always like that. But I think it is now. I think God is at work in a way that is unique. So welcome to the party. If you didn't know that it was going to be like this, but it's, it's getting good. And so God, God has brought you here. If you're a first-year and this is, you've been here for two weeks, and He's brought you here. He's placed you here for a purpose and, and to be a part of the movement of God. If you're here in the, in the community, we're seeing God work in the community like we never have before, seeing people open to the gospel like never before. So will you sign on to be a, a Joshua or Caleb, to be a part? It's, yeah, I'm going to pray. God, thank you that you've invited us in to be a part of your mission, that you've carried us and saved us from some horrible things, but you've not saved us to merely comfort, but you've placed us on a mission. And so, Lord, I just, I pray for for all of us in this room, Lord, that, that as we Come to understand more what it means to be a follower of yours, God, that we would engage in whatever the conquest is that you've given us, both in our own souls, but also out in the world. And that we would engage it with your word and with prayer. And that we would see your gospel move like we've never seen it before. And so, Lord, we, we pray a blessing over this time together as we take communion, as we are reminded of the way that you carried us, Lord the battle that you fought on our behalf, the battle that we could have never fought on our own. And so please bless this bread and this cup and just draw us into worship together with you and one another and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.